Macworld Podcast number 296 for Wednesday, April 11th, 2012. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Philip Michaels. Today, we thought we'd talk iPads, but not new iPads, not third-generation iPads, but rather old iPads, and what you can do with them. We've been running a series on Macworld.com about uses for your old iPad. We wanted to focus on one of those uses today. Um, Christopher Breen, our senior editor, wrote a piece about turning your iPad into a dedicated tablet for your kids, what you have to do for that, uh, the, the, the settings you have to enact. And he's here today in the Macworld Podcast studio. Actually, yes. yeah. I actually get to look at Chris Breen while talking to him instead of staring at a at a blank wall. And let me tell you, it's an improvement, Chris. You're really? A, you're a handsome man. Well, I've, I've seen your wall. OK, and, uh, so I know what you've been looking at. Mm-hmm. Well, enough of enough of this banter. All right. Let's uh, let's start and talk about um, why you think the iPad is a good, uh, good tool for your kids. Why, why of all the things I could do with an old iPad when I, when I upgrade to the new model, why I should, uh, hand it over to, to my, my offspring. Well, one thing is that now it's available and, um, we're at the point now the, the iPad is a couple of years old and it's no longer a shock to see more than one in the house. Um, before, it was kind of that you, you had the one iPad and then everybody in the house shared it. But now that we're on the third generation, people who even skipped the second generation have jumped on the third generation. They have this other iPad sitting around somewhere. Resale value on these things is, is still quite good. But if you have a child in your house, it's pretty likely that they've been all over the iPad that you've already owned. Now you have a new one. You want to keep that for yourself. And it turns out that the iPad is a pretty good educational tool as well as being an an entertainment uh, device. So it makes sense rather than having the single iPad that you want to keep sort of your kids away from because you have content on there that you don't want them to see or access to things, uh, apps that you don't want them to have access to. Whether it's, a work, it, whether it's a, a, a work iPad with uh, documents and such that you just don't want them futzing around with yeah. or, or, you know, Netflix and, and access to, to motion pictures that are not suitable for all audiences. And, it, and maybe even something as uh, seemingly innocent as Twitter, depending uh. on who – you follow because sometimes I'll be in a Twitter client or something will come up where an alert pops up and somebody uh, is using salty language that perhaps I don't want my daughter exposed to. So if you can take an entire iPad and configure it in such a way that you remove all those temptations, plus the fact that you can load it with all kinds of educational applications, um, guide your child through kind of the standard apps that are there, but use them in teachable ways, you can really make a very powerful um, educational companion. And if I can interject, um, the iPad seems uniquely suited for this among the iOS devices in the sense that um, the first generation iPad is still a very, very usable uh, uh, device, whereas... um, the other day, my wife still has an iPhone 3G, and I had to use it for something, and it, it actually made me angry for a moment to, 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 to be dealing with this, this, frankly, kind of outdated phone. It made my wife angry that she's still using an outdated yeah, phone. Yeah, well, it's, it's true because the iPhone and the iPod Touch have been around for quite a while, and if you use one of those first or second generation devices, you find out that it's pretty slow, and there are things that it won't even run because it either won't run iOS 5 
or it's so slow that it is, it, it's frustrating. It makes you angry to mm-hmm. use it. The iPad, however, even the oldest one, is only two years old. Yes, it is slower than the current one and even the second generation one, but there's very little that you can't do on it that you can, that you can do on a current iPad. Also, having that kind of space really frees up uh, multimedia applications and educational applications so that if you're using something like Starwalk, for example, you get a huge view of the sky. If you're using an art program, you really can zoom in and look at the brush strokes. Um, any of these applications that are going to enrich your child's life are going to be a better experience on the iPad. Plus, it's easier for them to control because you have a larger work surface. And we should point out, however, that many of the instructions we're about to talk about would also apply to iPhones and, sure. and iPod Touches, and then we'll have a few caveats about that a little bit right. later on in the podcast. So let's get down into the nitty-gritty. What are the most important things to keep in mind when you sit down to do the the physical process of cleaning up your iPad so that you can hand it off to the kids and say, go and learn? Right. Now, if you, well, there are two ways to go. One is if it's still going to be a, a shared iPad in some way, you have to think carefully about what you're going to put on it. So... You don't want to put on, for example, your copy of Clockwork Orange, either in uh, text or movie form, because the kids may stumble across it and, and play it, and you don't want that to happen. If you're going to dedicate it to the kids, first thing, just set it up as a new iPad. So take all your stuff off there. It is no longer your device. It is now their device. So wipe it out. Plug it into iTunes. You want to restore it. Set it up as a new device, not as a previous, uh, previously owned device. That way you're not going to uh, restore any of your data on it so that when you start it up, it should like it should look like it did as it came out That's of the box. That's the uh, restore to factory settings command in iTunes? When yeah, you well, yeah, set up as a new iPad okay. is, is the option. Um, and once you do that, then you've got a clean slate. And from there, then you can decide what you're going to put on it. Um, you could decide how you're going to um, sync the thing, what kind of access you're going to give your child to other data. So, for example, if they're a younger child, you don't necessarily want to give them access to the iTunes store. Um, You may not want to give them any kind of access to Safari or set up an email account for them or give them access to messages or any sort of chat um, application. However, as they get older, you want to give them more freedom, and they're going to do. They're going to want to do the things that their friends do. Uh, Facebook. They're going to want an email account. And the interesting thing about email is that Google and Yahoo and, and these other free services will tell you that you have to be 13 and older in order to use these email services. But the fact is that kids at eight, nine, ten, and eleven want an email account, and they routinely use them. This is a way out generally for, for Gmail and, and Yahoo where they say, well, you know, we, we're sorry that your child was exposed to this, but they shouldn't have had an account in the first place. But the fact is that parents do often set up email accounts so, so that they can use them. So one thing you want to do there is to make sure that you have some way of filtering what kind of mail they're getting. And regrettably, on an iOS device, that's difficult. You can do it easily on a Mac, but on an iOS device, you can, you can do it through an IMAP account. But even then, if you go into Gmail, you'll find that the settings are pretty limited. Ideally, you'd set up a whitelist, but you can't really do that effectively. So part of it, is particularly with a young child, is when they're using it, be with them. Don't just hand it to them and say, go off and explore, because you really don't want them uh, going off unsupervised on YouTube or in, or in um are on the web. Uh, you want to configure restrictions. This is part of iOS 5. You'll find it in the uh, in the settings area. And this 
this is very broad. Unlike the Mac, it doesn't give you um, the kind of fine-tuned controls that you have in parental controls, but on an iOS device, you can just shut off Safari altogether and YouTube altogether and iTunes altogether and, and these various services. And that's fine for a young child, but for that middling child, you know, 9 and 10 and 11, you want to allow them access to some of this stuff, but it has to be supervised in some way because there's bad stuff out there and, and you would prefer that your daughter not see some of the, the racier elements or, or or even your son. Um, so we talked about configuring email a little bit and whether you're going to do that. And then you have to decide which apps you're going to allow. Young children should not have their own iTunes account. They should use yours. You should loan it, uh, load it up with the applications that you like. Beyond that, as they get older, they are going to have the opportunity to start choosing the apps that they put on there. You can still restrict what they can do within restrictions. So, And can, that's the age limits. Uh, right. Because Apple... Uh, there, there are certain apps that Apple puts age limits on. Interestingly enough, news apps um, yeah. usually have a, a very high age restriction. Um, uh, I there's an app that I like that uh, tells you how to mix cocktails, and that one has a really? seventeen plus. Yeah, hmm. yeah, interesting. No, that'll be a future podcast. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you're right about news sites because you think, well, it, it's news; it's innocent enough. But I have had times when I pull up. Uh, the BBC or CNN or some other news site, and there's a horrific image right there. And you don't want to expose a, a child to that. They, they'll learn that soon enough, and, and you want to put that, off, put that day off as, as long as you can. Um, but, right, you can not only do that for applications, but you can do it for media as well. So they can perhaps download TV shows and movies when they're older, but you can still restrict the rating for that. So PG-13, for example, or PG, and then they can't download or view anything else that's beyond that limit. Um, and then finally, when you set it up, choose accessories because these are breakable items. And it, as wonderful as these devices may be for a child, if they drop them on a hard floor or cement, it will break and shatter the screen, and that's bad. So... Look for a protective case, particularly for younger children who are likely to, to drop it. Now, um, um, one of the things that was interesting in the article you wrote about uh, setting up the iPad was specifically about Netflix. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of the limitations of that. And I was wondering if you could uh, uh, illuminate our audience. <laughs> yeah. Netflix is a terrific resource. I mean, it gets more terrific the more content they have. And they're getting better about it. And they have a lot of uh, content for young children. The thing about their streaming service is that you can set up parental controls, but you can't do it by identity. So what they, they actually allow you within one account to have various identities. So I can go in as me, the, the grown-up, or I could go in with my account as, as my daughter, the kid. And you can apply parental controls, but it applies to everything. So that means that if I set it up for my daughter and I only allow her to watch up to PG, if I want to watch something a little more adult at night and I try to, I can't because I can't access that content. So that means I have to go to the Netflix website, not via the app, but I have to get onto my web browser, go in there and change the setting. And then it says, well, it may take up to eight hours to change the setting. It doesn't really. But again, I think they're just protecting themselves in case there's a glitch. 
So then after you, the adults, have gone to bed, you have to remember to switch it back again because when your precious one gets up at 6 a.m. and fires up Netflix and you forgot to turn that off and they've, they've watched the first season of The Wire, um, you may have some problems around the house. Mm. But at least it's an entertaining, high-quality show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. Now, um, the, uh, I used to be a teenage boy. Really? Yes, I did. Oh. I, I, really, I didn't. Uh, I, I, I thought you just leapt fully formed. Well, like like Athena from Zeus's head. <laughs> right. No. Um, and as a teenage boy, as a former teenage boy, there was not a parental restriction set up that I did not try to circumvent. Right. Um, how can a, a savvy uh, kid get around the parental restriction set up on the iPad? Uh, how, how, how tough? How does the passcodes? How does the passcode work? That sort of thing. Right. Um, uh, anyone under the age of twenty-one, if you would please plug your ears. Right. Now. Th- this part is not for you. This is not for We're you. We're going to be discussing um, uh, pork belly futures for the next mm, five <laughs> minutes or so. So, dull, just, dull, dull. Just plug your ears and um, hum a happy tune. Right. So, um, yeah, it, it's not terribly difficult. All mm-hmm. your kid has to do is restore the iPad, and it's open. Open, open, open. A 13-year-old so, boy in me thinks that's great. Yeah, they do. And, and it's not that they – like they don't know. You know, you may say, well, I've never shown them how to do that. Well, but their friends have. Um, and that's the difficulty because it works with all iOS devices. This is not magic. It's not difficult. And, and it's just one of the laws of of nature is that 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 can be locked by an adult will be unlocked by a twelve year old boy. It just it's true, and so part of this is supervising your kids when they use this technology. If hopefully you've built up some trust with them, and if you have, that's the point when you can think about providing them with this technology. If you have a sneaky little rat of a kid, <laughs> you may want to think about, well, maybe I don't want to do this. I mean, the problem is they're going to go to their friends and they're going to see it there as well. But at least you can do what you can to try to instill the value that this is a tool for entertainment and um, and for education, but hopefully not for purience. They can use their friend's computer for that, mm-hmm. um, but you would prefer to keep that stuff off your iPad. As they say, the only thing that uh, can beat a 10-foot wall is an 11-foot ladder. That's so, right. So um, before we uh, – I want to dive into that subject a little bit more, uh, walls and ladders. But um, first, let's uh, uh, dial back to the iPhone for a second. And mm-hmm. if someone uh, follows your instructions that you that you lay out for uh, uh, giving uh, an iPad to a kid instead using that for an iPhone, uh, what things should they keep in mind there, particularly as it relates to uh, – uh, deactivating the phone portion of the uh, of the device, so that basically they've just got a very uh, very nice iPod touch. Right. Yeah. If you've upgraded your iPhone, um, essentially what happens is that you do deactivate it. That you've now transferred your number to your new device, and the old device will become an iPod touch, a nice one. Um, but the phone part will not work. However, and, and this is a little bit of a different subject. Just last weekend, AT&T has said that if your old iPhone is now out of contract, you can have it unlocked. You could do this through jailbreaking in the past, but now AT&T will actually do it for you. So as a pass-along option, that's that's not bad if you need to give your kid a cell phone, if you need to give them a working cell phone. If you don't want to do that, then um, 
you know, hopefully they can't take it and go down to AT&T and say, hey, mister, 10 bucks if you unlock it. I don't think they can. Um, but otherwise, setting it up is really the same because this is all about iOS 5. It's not very device-specific. So um, you give them the old one that's set up. Again, you restore the thing so that it's a blank slate. Put on it what is appropriate for your child and, and let them have at it. Now, going back to the subject we were talking about before, setting up an iPad for a kid is different than, say, making your iPad a, a dedicated kitchen tablet. You don't have to sit down and have a talk with, with the person about how the importance of using this in the kitchen. Um, and I think this is the the part that people really don't realize when they when they create a uh, uh, a kid-dedicated iPad is that it's not just the, a matter of going through and setting the settings. There are the, then then begins your, the real work, the yeah. actual the actual parenting. And I was wondering if you could uh, share some tips about that. Sure, um, it's it's called the talk, and you have the talk when, regardless of your if your kid is sitting down at a computer or if they're using one of these devices, it's all about what's out there on the internet, what's available to them. You may not know, Phil, because I know you're an innocent uh, man, but um, there is some nasty stuff out there you may have heard. And there are people out there that are not nice people, uh, just as there are in, in other countries in the world, but never not here. Um, so in order to have the talk, you really have to explain to your kid in an age-appropriate way some of the dangers that it's not okay to talk to strangers uh, in the real world and it's not okay to talk to strangers in the virtual world. So that if somebody's going to have an email account, you as parent need to be able to get in there and take a look at what they're doing. You want to have a list of all their contacts. You have to have all their, their passwords. If they're young, as they get older, you know, you can't really go to a 17-year-old and say, I want your password for everything or, or get out of the house. Um, so part of that is to set limits on what they can do depending on how old they are. Um, another one is that you reserve the right to check up on them so that if you've provided an 11-year-old with one of these devices, it's okay for you as parent to take it from them. And if you want to check their Safari history, that's okay because you've provided this technology for them. Again, that's a tougher sell to a 17-year-old depending on – but, you know, it depends on what kind of issues come up in the house. You can always take it away from them. Another thing is is generally let kids know that you don't want to overshare. There is a lot of pressure on everybody to overshare details of their life, whether that's through social networking or email or contests or, or whatever. And I, I think a lot of young people don't understand the consequences of oversharing. First of all, at the worst end of the spectrum, it can be dangerous. You don't want to let, let strangers know where you live, where you go to school, who your friends are, what you look like by taking pictures of yourself and posting them. Um, and then on the other end is if you're 16 and 17 years old and think you're going to live forever and nothing is ever going to change, it's sort of like, uh, you know, putting that, um, you know, a very large tattoo on your face. It's not going to go away at, at any time. And when you're 35, it's maybe not going to be as attractive. So if you're sharing a bunch of stuff on Facebook, that may be cool, but seven years down the line when you're trying to get a job somewhere and somebody pulls up your picture of you having 17 margaritas in uh, in Tijuana and having a wonderful time, that may not uh, look so good either. So be careful about oversharing. And, um, and take care of it. 
that this is a this is an expensive piece of gear and you don't want to drop it. Don't take it to school. Don't take it somewhere where it's going to get lost. Um, and because understand that this may be the last one you own if you if you treat it carelessly. Very good advice, I think. Um, speaking of advice, a lot of readers sometimes write in with advice for you. Yes, when you, they do. When you write these uh, these kind of stories about the the uh, the. Uh, benefits of the iPad as an educational tool. Uh, would you care to characterize the the kind of uh, response you get from from a, a segment of the readership? A segment, yeah. Well, generally, people are very supportive, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of these are parents because, and you know, the people who read our stuff love technology too, and they use these devices and they see the benefits. There are those people, and and I sympathize in a way with with some of them, where they say. Get kids away from technology. They should be outside sucking in fresh air and getting exercise and not spending time looking at a screen and experiencing uh, companionship in a virtual space but instead in a real space. They should be playing with real people doing real things. And I I totally agree. I think that's absolutely right. But there's a balance. I think the sucking in fresh air is, is great. But you can do other things as well. I think a lot of people have this notion that um, – that you use technology in the basement because somehow reception is better there or the, the earth is transmitting better quality data to you. But the fact is that we've now moved to an, into a world where a lot of this technology is mobile, whether you're using an iPod Touch or an iPhone or an iPad. You can take these things with you. Now, in the education biz, they have a, a phrase called the teachable moment. And this is where you're out with anybody. Something happens and you – you veer off whatever your game plan was and you say, this is an opportunity for me to parent a little bit and teach something. So that may be you're outside walking around with your kid in a rainstorm. You have your boots on and you're, you're nice and dry and you look down and there's an earthworm. Well, there are lots of things you can do with that teachable moment. You could first advise not to step on the worm because you want to teach that you should value life no matter how icky. You could talk about where this worm came from. Why is it there all the time? Um, what is it about moisture that makes this worm so happy? And on and on and on. So you can use these devices in teachable moments kinds of ways. So, for example, my family was on vacation a couple of summers ago, and we were in Hawaii, and we were outside, and we looked up in the sky, and there were three bright objects that were lined up in the sky. And my daughter said, "This, this is at night, by the this way. This is at night. Yes, yeah, yeah, you were in Hawaii, not on Tatooine, right?" <laughs> And so she said, well, what's that? And I said, well, those are likely planets. Now, if that was – if I didn't have an iOS device with me, I would have said, yeah, those are planets. And that's clearly uh, Uranus, Neptune, and something else. But instead, I could pull out my iPhone and said, let's find out. And I pulled up Starwalk, and I gave it my location, and I pointed it at the sky, and I said, ah, that is Mars and Venus and Saturn. And Saturn's on top, and this one's here, and this one's there. And then we could zoom in on it, and we could explore what Saturn looks like. So here are the rings. How were they formed? Uh, here are the moons. What, what are they called? And so from there, then you can link to other information. So this is one of the brilliant things about these devices, that you can use them outdoors. So you can use Google Maps to look at the world around you. You can look at Google Earth to explore areas of the planet that you could never, ever go to. There are lots of these apps that aren't necessarily educational apps, but instead they're just kind of standard apps that you use for other things, but they have educational purposes. So I think that, yes, you can spend way too many hours using this stuff, just as you could spend way too many hours playing 
video games or watching TV or going to the movies or reading novels or other things that you shouldn't do. Uh, because too much of anything is too much of that. Uh, but if you're a wise parent and you're paying attention, you can use this technology to enhance your child's life in a way that you couldn't previously. You can't use an encyclopedia that's 10 years old to look up information that's only a week old. Um, so as much as I love printed stuff, this is a gateway to an incredible amount of information that used wisely can really enhance anybody's life, your child's as well as yours. And, and it's usually close at hand, too. Uh, but my wife and I, in the in the, the dark times before the iPhone uh, came along, yes. we used to have this concept called, that we, 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 we longed for something called Dashboard Google because we'd be driving on car trips and some sort of topic of conversation would come up that mm -hmm. we, we, we um, either didn't know the answer to or were arguing about this one moment stands out clear in my mind for some reason or another we got stuck on what order the scandinavian countries are stacked on on top oh. of each other and and i don't know we, yeah and, and 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 at the time we said oh if only we had like dashboard google implanted into the the dashboard of a car we could look it up and and have knowledge yeah and now with the iphone that that in essence is what you have you have all these apps at your disposal where you can look up things and, and have those teachable moments that you've talked about. It, yeah, it is. It, it's a remarkable thing. And routinely now I say, whether it's at dinner or we're traveling as you were or somewhere else, we say, let's look that up. And you can right then. And the immediacy of that is really powerful. In the in those dark days, we would say, oh, we should look that up sometime. And, yeah, and then you forget and about then it. And then you totally forget and about you it. And you'll it. never know that it's Norway, Sweden, Finland. Is it? I believe it is. Okay. Well, we I'm, will hear from our Scandinavian the readers of The angry Finns are composing their email right now. You've got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many ways to explore things using this technology. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one other, for example, which I think is is useful and, and maybe not useful for everybody. But I'm, I'm musical. I, I have been since I was very young. And I think my daughter has the knack. So – we were um, – I got her started on, on piano, but I didn't want to push her too hard on it. And she, we've been using this, this app from uh, Smule called Magic Piano. And one of the things it has is a, uh, a little game that will play kind of common uh, classical tunes and, and modern uh, pop tunes that are out of copyright. So like Furelis is, is the one that she was listening to. And what you do is you tap on the screen as if there was a keyboard there, and it's very rudimentary. So the high notes you tap to the right, low notes you tap to the left, and you ta if you tap in rhythm, then it sounds like the song it's supposed to be. So she loved this thing, and she kept playing with it. And, um, and about a week later, I hear her playing the melody line from Furelise on the piano, which was not part of her lessons. And I said, well, where did that come from? And she said, oh, I got it from Magic Piano. I said, well, they don't teach you to play the real piano. And she goes, no, but I know the song now. And although she couldn't explain it this way, she understood the interval relationships because of the, the topography of the app. So she was able to take that information and transfer it in such a way that she could take it from this virtual kind of game-like world into the real world, which as a musician is a, a great lesson because so many People are raised uh, reading music and, and don't feel that they can pick things out by ear. This encouraged her to do that. I had encouraged her to, to do it previously, but it didn't really take. But this did because it got into her ear. It gave her the confidence that she could do that. 
And now she's starting to pick out tunes fairly routinely. Part of that is her innate talent, but the other part is that this vehicle has provided a way for her to do that without fearing kind of the great big piano keyboard in front of her, but rather to uh, experience it in a safe and easily controlled environment. Mm -hmm. And that helps her connect the dots. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I can now play the NBC chime on my daughter's toy xylophone. So in, in that sense, I'm very similar to your daughter. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Magic Piano. What are some other uh, um, apps that you would recommend for, for some of these moments to that, that uh, either would spark your, your kid's imagination or, or help you uh, uh, expose them to a, a wider world? Sure. Uh, well, I've mentioned Starwalk a couple of times, and mm -hmm. I'll just mention it one more time. Um, Really, many of these astronomy apps are just fantastic. Most of them, if you point your phone or iPad or iPod Touch at the sky, it will tell you what's in the sky above you. And it's a wonderful way to learn what's in the, the heavens. And then if you want to, you can explore further. So you can get uh, information about planets and constellations and uh, and stars around you. So that's terrific. Um I, I like the all the Smule stuff. So Ocarina is a really fun app to use. It's it's a virtual uh, reproduction of an of an ocarina, which is a four hole instrument. And you and the cute thing about it is you blow into the um, iPhone's microphone and to play it. Draw something is a really popular game that we've been a lot of us at, at Mac World have been playing against each other, and it turns out that's really been helping her with her um, with her art skills because the the object of the game is you draw a word. So it's like Pictionary. So if you're not a terribly good artist and you draw something that looks like a, a squashed pickle and is instead supposed to be a uh, camping, it's... <laughs> if, it's <laughs> if it's a squashed pickle, you've won. But... <laughs> well, I suppose so. Yeah. And, but, so it, it's helped her to refine her drawing skills. And, and because of that, we've acquired a stylus and now she's drawing better images and from that she's then decided that she's going to explore some of these more traditional drawing applications so um that's sort of the gateway into art applications um boinks's i stop motion for ipad is a ton of fun uh stop motion animation for kids is so much fun but it's um it's been out of reach for a lot of people because you need a, a decent camera or you need a camcorder to do it, and now you don't. So you can use your iPad as the camera and uh, and do stop motion there. Or they have a companion app so that you can use your iPhone as the camera, and then it transmits the images you take to your iPad, and then you can do these claymation things. And then part of that, you learn things like you learn about lighting and composition and framing and time and motion. So it isn't just doing claymation, but there are a lot of problems that you then have to uh, solve. Uh, Epicurious, I use that a lot when cooking, and my daughter's starting to learn to cook, so the, the two of us look in there for things. Google Earth is terrific. She loves Google Earth, and that's a way to explore other countries, learn something about uh, geography. Um, and also, I've set her up with an iTunes account and uh, an allowance, so I give her 10 bucks a month, and, and that's helped with her... Um, sense of uh, managing her finances. So she has her $10. She has to decide what she's going to buy over those with that 10 bucks. And, and she'll look at stuff and go, well, is this worth it? I don't know. It's $2. And I say, yeah, that leaves you with $8. No, I don't want that. Or she'll look at an in-app purchase, you know, more money for $15 or something. So, well, that's a ripoff. Good girl. Yes, it's a ripoff. Don't do that. Um, 
And then also she's become a cheapskate. So she gets a lot of free stuff, but also in terms of her reading, instead of buying ebooks, if you go uh, use the iBook store or if you use um, Amazon, you'll find that there are a lot of free books, but they're all out of copyright, which means they're older classic literature. So she hasn't read Twilight, but she's read The Complete Adventures of Sherlock Holmes and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea because those books were free and they're fun for her to read on her devices. So um, although those are not technically educational applications, the fact is that you can get a complete classic library for nothing. And if your child is inclined to read, that's a wonderful way to get them to do it. Great. I'll throw in Hawaiian Reef Fish. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you mentioned, again, in a very fine article, which we'll link to in the show notes, you mentioned uh, 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 being in Hawaii and, yeah, yeah. And, and using that to identify fish. I use that all the time when I when I go over to the islands. I bip up around the uh, the coral reef. Outdoors, folks, breathing the fresh air. The breathing, breathing and then the I, I get to the shore and, and – uh, and, uh, Fire up the app and, and identify what I just saw. It's a great app. We did that as well. Same idea. It would be nice if you could have that device with you underwater when you're actually looking mm-hmm. at the fish. But the next best thing is having it on shore and uh, and being able to look at it there. And, and for cooking apps, I'd recommend the Jamie Oliver apps are actually oh, okay. quite well designed. Excellent. Good. Um, there was one other one I was going to mention. and uh, Oh, I, uh, iBird Pro. iBird, yes. Yeah. we uh, My wife and I and now my daughter um, – Occasionally look at birds, and being able to use uh, iBird Pro to identify them is terrific. Also, it, they have the uh, bird calls in there. So if you can't quite figure out what something is but you think you know what it is, uh, you call up the bird calls, and, and that helps you identify birds that you can't see. Okay. Well, those are, are some apps to put on your iPad once you've prepped it for your uh, for your children. Um, Chris Breen, thank you for what I hope is will be a very informative discussion for our listeners. I hope so. Thank and, you. And uh, it was certainly informative for me. Excellent. So, as long as I'm entertained. We're good. Yeah. Uh, thank you, listeners, for, for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Macworld Podcast. Until then, take care. Take care.